and welcome to another episode of the Bipolar Disorder Moment. I'm your host, Alan Cooper. Today's guest is Dr. Andre Pickersgill. Um, Andre, it's cool I call you Andre for this, right? Or do you want me to call you Dr. Pickersgill? <laughs> I know it is totally cool you call me Andre. Yeah. Okay, so... Andre has been a GP for over 30 years. Um, he has 13 years of experience in full service practice, which includes family practice, delivering babies, visiting hospitals, nursing homes, doing hospice care, and his traditional family practice. He has spent the last 17 years as a family doctor for the military in Esquimalt. Is Esquimalt part of Victoria or is it around Victoria? Yeah, it's part of Victoria. Victoria, Greater Victoria has actually 13 municipalities of which Esquimalt is one of them. Wow, I lived there and I didn't know that. Lived there for four years. Going, <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So yes, uh, Victoria, British Columbia, one of its municipalities. And on top of all that, he has been married for 30 years, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> and he has two grown children and a cat. That's awesome. And most importantly, he has been a family friend since I was a teenager, and he's a very close friend of one of my older brothers. So, Dr. Pickersgill, welcome. Thanks, Alan. It's, uh, it's a pleasure and an honor to be here. Oh, it's very kind of you to say. I'm, we've been talking about this for a while, um, so I'm so glad that we finally got you on so we can have a, a good conversation about mental health. So I just thought we'd do this kind of organically. Um, because the reason we're actually having this podcast is just by chance, uh, I ran into Andre in a mall. We haven't seen each other for quite a few years, didn't recognize, well, you recognized me. <laughs> it took me a bit to recognize you. Yeah. And you just happened to be going, uh, we had a very quick conversation and I was telling you that uh, I was in Toastmasters and giving speeches about bipolar disorder and mental health and you were on your way to do something. It was very quick, so I didn't, quite fully grasp what you were doing that day but maybe you can talk about uh, you were doing a presentation about mental health that day or maybe you can share that with us okay sure no I remember the day that we met very well it was uh, that we were just I was visiting Calgary visiting my family and and just happened to see you and that was cool because you also have shared that you were writing your book um, oh yeah yeah and um, but uh, but yes, uh, I was heading to Vernon, BC in a couple of weeks after that uh, for an annual doctor's hockey tournament, uh, which I've been a part of for actually over 30 years. Um, and every year it's it's actually I mean, technically, it's a medical conference. And oh. this was <laughs> technically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So you discuss uh, you discuss medications while you're on the ice or you're in the penalty yeah, box with one of your but uh, but as any good doctor's conference will uh, has there's a, there's an educational component of course uh, so this one just happens to be a few hours of lectures in the evening and it just happens to be many more hours of hockey so a bit of a different balance but. <laughs> But one could Both argue, yeah. health-wise, you know. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's actually a, it's been an annual gathering for over thirty-five years of doctors oh. across BC, and and really, it's a mental health weekend uh, for yeah. Yeah. for us. You know, it's kind of a chance for to sure. let loose, to kind of reconnect in a really interesting, fun way, and mm -hmm. compete. But it's not that serious for most of us, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and, but uh but yeah so there so the um this particular year it was our team's year to uh supply the speakers for the conference mm -hmm. and uh and so i um decided that i would like to and i as the organizer for the team i wasn't able to get enough other volunteers so i had to do the main <laughs> the main talk yeah. and uh and i thought that it would be valuable to talk about mental health and really about kind of actually being able to talk about mental health. Um, and so I basically gave a talk to a bunch of hockey playing doctors uh, about, uh, about mental health. And, and it was a kind of a broad topic, mm -hmm. but it was specifically inspired by 
the cause that a friend of mine has uh, initiated. Um, this organization is called Buddy Check for Jesse. Um, and uh, Jesse was a boy, exact same age as my daughter, Jessica, actually. And, and his dad, Stu, and I were good friends. We played hockey together and even went to this tournament together. Yeah. Um, and uh, after Jesse uh, committed suicide uh, at the age of 22, uh, it inspired his father to um, to basically uh, uh, try to spread the word about uh, communicating with um, people about mental health, raise awareness, and so he developed this program, which basically empowers uh, empowers coaches of young athletes to talk to uh, their to talk to the athletes about mental health and being able to sort of how important it is to share about feelings and emotions and if you need help and to reach out and to just uh, so it gives them resources to uh, encourage their uh, teens to speak about mental health within themselves and with their families and things. Um, so uh, this is a very long-winded answer but <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I would love to have him on my podcast as well. That would be yeah. Excellent. Well, you know, and I could definitely talk to you about about him. Uh, he's a wonderful man, um, Stu Gershman, and uh, yeah, BuddyCheckForJesse.com is uh, is a really a great resource, particularly for kids, but for families or anyone uh, looking to sort of look for resources uh, regarding um, you know places to go when you're dealing with mental health. Um, so my so, yeah, and so this hockey tournament also actually um, has a uh, benevolent side uh, the, with extra money that we collect on the registration, we give money to uh, worthy causes uh, each year. And it, was, and, and it was our team's year to also provide the, the direct where the funds would go. So $5,000 was directed towards Buddy Check for Jesse. And so, and in return, I, I gave the talk. So I talked about that program, but I also talked about mental health in general because it's affecting so many of us. And, and, um, and I talked about my own experiences dealing with mental health type issues. And um, I, uh, and I even used uh, your video of, that was basically directed to doctors about how we should do better at uh, speaking into and communicating with uh, with. Uh, oh, that went to doctors. That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, well I guess I kind of knew that. And I, I, had asked your, I had asked you. Yeah, that's true. You asked me. It was okay. <laughs> I hadn't made a, a picture of it in my mind. So that's cool. Thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, uh, so and, and it went over. It went over very well, actually, like uh, combining, like I say, personal stuff and a little bit of the more recent research of what's going on and threw a little bit of humor in there and stuff, but um, which you helped to provide with your talks. But uh, yeah. <laughs> that's good. I'm glad. And, you know, and I got and I received very positive feedback after that. Um, wow, that's excellent. So, yeah. Wow. So people, hmm, things are changing. Hey, so. I just wanted to kind of touch on it. We had a subsequent conversation about this and recently, because you were back visiting in Calgary. Yeah. And you said some very interesting things about how in your practice, you're seeing like a good portion of your practice is about mental health. Do you think you could talk about that a little bit? Um, sure, yeah, I mean, as, as you pointed out at the start, I've been doing this for quite a while now. Um, and, uh, and I would say when I was doing my sort of full service family practice, yeah, mental health was definitely a big part of that. Um, and since I've been working with the military, um, uh, it's been even more uh, prevalent, really. I, you know, I would say realistically, close to 50% of the number of, of the patients that come and see me are are there because of mental health uh, issues, whether it's depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, um, ADHD, addictions, uh, and and many other adjustment type uh, reactions and disorders. So, mm -hmm. and 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 really, if we look at the, I and actually did this, I broke down my day. 
um, by the time. And so the time spent with patients and doing the follow-up and things, um, it's actually a full 70% of the time of my work is dealing with mental health issues and surrounding uh, issues. Yeah, when you mentioned that to me uh, that day, I was very, very surprised at that. <laughs> so what's the... <clears throat> So like we mentioned, we, again, making reference, you know, we should have recorded that conversation. It was a good conversation. <laughs> That's what happened at dinner, yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things we talked about is my experience with the mental health system is like psychosis and then Alan's in the hospital. You know, right. it was uh, bang and welcome to the psych ward, welcome to bipolar disorder. But that's not always the case for people. Often their first stop is a family doctor. Is th that's yeah. accurate, isn't it? Yeah, actually, that's, uh, that's very accurate. Um, in fact, I, before we met today, I just very quickly, I just wanted to check a couple of things. And one of the, one of the statistics I came across is that of the people that are, uh, well, as of a few years ago, anyway, this was, I think this was a 2014 uh, StatsCan study that um, of the 11% of the, of the population who were experiencing uh, anxiety and or depression at that time, um, so 93% of them had engaged in their care through a family doctor's office. And, uh, and only 19% had seen a counselor, psychiatrist, psychologist, uh, or, or anything else. Um, and of course, then there were a bunch that there, but that's of the ones who did see people. There are a number, I think 25% of them hadn't even seen anybody. They just ticked yeah. off that they had all the symptoms. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and I wanted to add, it was sort of, I remember actually many years ago, uh, a wise older doctor had told me once that, that uh, as, as we become more of a secular society, as people have stopped going to talk to priests and, and other sort of spiritual leaders, um, that basically spirituality has moved into the family doctor's office. So the role that priests used to play oh, has been taken over by family doctors because they're the people you can trust and go to talk about anything, you know? So, oh, that's interesting. So without having been taught or prepared for that as a GP, any, any experienced doctor would probably, I'm pretty sure couldn't help but agree with the fact that this is what happens now in our societies. People go to their doctor. Yeah. For any answers. Yeah. Oh, that's very profound. Hmm. Uh, that was such a good point. I forgot my follow-up question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I remember. So... People, their introduction to mental health care comes through their family doctor. Yeah. I was wondering if you kind of talk about just a, I wouldn't want people to be reluctant about doing that. So maybe we could talk about what to expect and maybe some reasons that people should seek care from their family doctor for a mental health concern. Well, that's, yeah, really well, well phrased uh, question and thought. Um, so, well, <laughs> I guess I, I, I answered that a little bit just now saying that pretty much, you know, if there's, if you have any, if there is any question or concern or doubt about kind of what you're thinking or experiencing, then I would encourage you to talk to a family doctor. Um, I also appreciate that not everybody has one and particularly yeah. one one that they know and so they could be going into a walk-in clinic and they'd be talking to a complete stranger mm -hmm. um, but having said that i do think that they that one could, should be able to expect that if they were to go there and share some concern about their mental health whatever it is um you know how small how big you know you could be deeply suicidal or depressed or even just a little bit sort of just so upset that it's getting at you or just whatever it is, um, you should be met with an open um, uh, uh, approach and, uh, and non-judgmental and, and then be able to, from that point, 
sort of come up with a bit of a plan and the plan may just be some reassurance, but it could be, uh, it could be some recommendation to sort of uh, hook in with a yoga studio or meditation, or it could be a referral to a counselor or a psychologist, or it could be consideration of medication, or it could be, Hey, let's get your family together and let's talk about an approach. But, you know, so, uh, so yeah, I, I think that's, that's what I would, hope uh, that uh, people could uh, expect what i'm hearing is there's no reason to hesitate no <laughs> you, should, you shouldn't be worried that your uh, your family doctor is going to be completely shocked because this happens a lot yeah and I, you will I, likely be met with compassion and um, and understanding and help yeah i would i would have to assume that given that this is what um, this is what we've kind of uh, sworn an oath to do: is provide <laughs> compassion and care. And, and and because it is that is that is why people come to see us. You know, I yeah. mean, it's a big part of, of it. Obviously, there are lots of other important roles that we play. But mm-hmm. the but I think maybe the last the important point there is that the family doctor, in the way that our healthcare system is typically designed in Canada the the family doctor is kind of an ax it's one of the main access points so yeah. from the doctor from the family doctor you can go to any sort of specialist whether a psychiatrist or other yeah. medical specialist um the shortcoming of our system is that we don't fund typically uh counseling and psychologists oh, no. mm-hmm. so unless you have money or have a third-party plan that is the biggest challenge and and actually in that same study that i just uh quoted a little while ago um from statscan the uh they pointed out that of those people uh something like uh so yeah more than 70 percent of those people were taking medications but less than 25 percent had actually seen a psychologist or counselor and, and that is, I guarantee that is strictly because the, uh, the, our provincial, our, uh, yes, basically our, our uh, uh, medical care plans cover seeing doctors and, and a lot of people have prescription uh-huh. coverage, but mm-hmm. a lot of people don't have counseling coverage. Uh-huh. Hmm. Yeah, so I just wanted to make sure people understand that like if they're hearing voices and or their, their mood is low, go to a doctor. <laughs> there's no reason uh i just know people hesitate or they're embarrassed or they're ashamed or um you know maybe there's a fear that the doctor will be like why would you make that a big deal why would you come to my office you know what i mean i'm yeah. just trying to think of the reasons it's tough to be vulnerable enough and ask yeah. for help right no, so you no know, it is and and i can and i can say with certainty as well that um that yeah, there are lots of other reasons that people don't come, uh, and and I one and I, I imagine part of it is that there it's it's too sort of hard, it may be too hard to share these things. People yeah. feel too vulnerable, um, but I know there are other reasons, and particularly with working in the military, um, by the time. Uh, people do tend end up sharing with me quite often they've been suffering for months or years often years uh, mm-hmm. because they're worried about the ramifications of being diagnosed with a mental illness so yeah. that it's going to affect their job or their uh, standing in the community or in their family and and they just mm-hmm. they, and it's just too hard to admit that they're weak because that's that's yeah think that they're doing rather yeah. than the reality which is it takes strength and courage to come forward and, and share about uh, yeah. your um your struggles like that yeah, so that's how stigma kind of gets in the way of people being well right yeah people absolutely. just don't understand there's a medical reason for for what's going on for a lot of us uh, yeah that's a shame when you said that it made me realize a similar problem for people who have bipolar disorder is often people who have bipolar disorder go off go off their medication, and the thought process is, "I'm on medication, I'm stable, so I probably don't have bipolar disorder," because right. they don't want to be part of the team. They don't <laughs> want to be, uh, and that's usually been my experience of why people stop taking their medication and then they get sick again, and 
that's pretty common i think for yeah no of course i think we're all as humans we're it's like that's like hey i i've i've done some other work i'm okay i i can yeah. i can deal with this and... yeah i like to say if you're on diabetes medication you still need to take the medication if you stop taking it you're your sugar that's the best I could do but yeah stigma is very strong right if you have a I think if you're younger and you think uh if I stop taking my medication and I'm okay and I don't have bipolar disorder rather than <laughs> it's kind of powerful that that's worthwhile to take that risk instead of just saying sticking with the I have bipolar disorder and I need medication yeah, yeah it's it's interesting because I think the I mean bipolar disorder is common enough that most people know somebody who has it right or yeah. at least they know someone who knows somebody or like it's it's i think it's something like three percent of the population does that sound about right yeah yeah that sounds very yeah um and and that's just one example but most of us know those people and and most of us know that those people are actually pretty cool great wonderful yeah. people who are actually some of them are university professors and some of them are doing yep. all kinds of other cool things. Uh, and I'm speaking from personal experience. Here. Me too. Like I have friends, <laughs> I have a lot of friends that have bipolar disorder and they're just extraordinary individuals. Yeah. I wouldn't have had the opportunity to meet because yeah. I have bipolar disorder. There we go. But, yeah. but, but the thing is, so one-on-one, -on -one, we know that it's not even that big. I mean, it's not that big a deal from the standpoint that we don't think less of them. We just, it's yeah. just that part of who they are. So it's still, it's, so it's, and given how many people are dealing with issues like, well, diagnoses, the more common one, the most common, of course, depression and anxiety. But, um, but if you put them all together lifetime, it's like almost half our population will end up with a diagnosis of some yeah. sort of mental health issue. And the fact that we still can't feel safe sharing it is, yeah is really such a shame and a barrier to our, our good health. Yeah, it is. Hopefully we're getting there. It's way yeah. better than it would be when it was That's when I was diagnosed. Cool. In yeah. 1995, I wouldn't be doing this podcast. That's for <laughs> <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> and, you know, and, and hats off to, you know, so you say what you want about big corporations, but at least they, uh, they know what makes them look good. So if, uh, if Bell wants to put money into talking about mental health, then hey that's yeah you know like that's that's one example and and you see all over the place that uh, uh people uh, celebrities and other sort of well-known faces that are on tv and on shows and on talk shows uh, similar to yours if with much wider reach probably some of them <laughs> <laughs> probably. But, uh, but they're sharing them and you know and and uh they're sharing their experiences and professional athletes are going around giving talks about them being abused uh in the locker room and then going on to dealing with depression and with and uh and um uh addictions and things and and it's become much more open and commonplace and particularly and this is such a good thing it, it is getting more and more destigmatized i think amongst youth youth oh yeah absolutely if i meet somebody who's like under 30 or like in their 20s i disclose usually within a couple minutes like i have no <laughs> yeah that's a good point actually it's people that are younger seem to have kind of they're okay so that's that bodes well for the future yeah. but somebody my age or older i might not so even though i publicly make all of these podcasts and <laughs> i selectively tell um, yeah so that part's sad but it's getting better yeah. and those companies and those athletes have been huge inspiration for me and a lot of people and i think they've they've helped a great deal for sure yeah okay so maybe changing gears a little bit um we're gonna talk a bit more about you okay. <laughs> uh, so first of all you have been very i haven't seen you in years and but you've been very supportive of what i do uh, in terms of my blog and my podcast and and even my book um so i'm curious we haven't really got the, the chance to sit down and and talk about maybe why that is is there does it speak to a passion about mental health or is there, is there something about 
what I write or I'm not fishing for compliments. (laughs) (laughs) It sounded like I was fishing for compliments. You can, we can stretch that into like, is it because you have a passion for it or just because of what you said um, in terms of how many of your patients have? Um, Sure. No, I can definitely talk to that because I I would say that it really has become a, um, I'm I'm definitely, I'm, passionate about it um and it's been kind of cool to finally develop a passion i have to admit after many years of medicine you know it's it's always interesting because you're always meeting people and it's always an honor for them to come and share you know be able to talk to you about literally anything even though you've just met them i mean it, yeah. it's a pretty amazing thing really you know mm-hmm. um, and um but but yeah, it, it has been, I've been definitely more and more into it for a number of reasons. Um, I think the, the uh, buddy check for Jesse and the Stu and Jesse Gershman, that was, that's been part of it, but that really has sort of, it really opened my eyes to looking at and seeing how prevalent and how impactful mental health is for, for people in society in general and for all my patients, um, I guess being in the military, the rate of PTSD has increased a lot since Canada went back to war. You know, up until um, up until the 1990s, um, early 1990s, Canada had only been ever peacekeepers. Like we'd never actually gone into any sort of offensive type of war. Um, and it, uh, but. And, but uh, since Rwanda and Kosovo and Afghanistan and Iraq and stuff, there's been a lot more impact. Um, and, and I've also been observing people with chronic pain and all kinds of other chronic illnesses that clearly sort of have a mental health foundation. Um, so I'm really starting to get a sense that in order to help people with so many different types of medical problems, focusing on their underlying mental health is actually vital <laughs> to mm. uh, to being able to uh, help them and and that uh, particularly with chronic things um, so and those are like the challenging the difficult frustrating patients because they just don't get better and then yeah. hey well, that's that's an affront to me i'm a doctor you're not getting better you know? <laughs> yeah yeah for sure so i uh, you know and, and so doctors tend to kind of we don't feel like there's much to offer so often the patient can feel abandoned and uh, so if we if we can acknowledge that there is an underlying part to that 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 at least to acknowledge that hey we have a sense that what is that there is something going on even if we don't have a perfect answer then mm-hmm. we will just keep supporting you and and i think so that's driven me to try and learn more and uh, read a bunch of books and um and understand uh, sort of a bit more of the where the current understanding is in, in terms of the neuropsychology and the behavioral physiology uh, side of it. Um, and, uh, and then I guess the other side of it is just uh, my own personal sort of happiness and challenges, which uh, over the years, uh, you know, there have been some times when uh, you know, I actually dealt with uh, overdoing it and and burnout and stuff. So there's there's uh, yeah there's been a lot that has kind of come together to motivate me more recently. And and when and I just happened to have a young guy diagnosed with bipolar one disorder right around that time. And so your 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 blog just seemed to really speak to the kinds of things that I would love to be able to tell this guy <laughs> yeah so, so the timing was, was oh i see uh, so there was uh so yeah there was a lot of uh, uh reasons for me to kind of be passionate in general and about your blog in particular oh excellent so it's impacted you professionally and as well as personally yeah hmm. excellent can i i just wanted to just a quick follow-up question you mentioned mental health and chronic pain. We often see a lot of people with chronic pain in our groups. Is that is, is care for people with chronic pain? Can you speak a bit more about that? Um, sure. Did you say you don't see people in your We group? see a lot. We see a lot. Oh, you do? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because that doesn't, because I was going to 
<laughs> yeah, like, we see a lot. Struggle to explain when you said you didn't. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, yeah, we see a lot. It seems well, to me, anyway. Like in my my well, experience working with people with bipolar disorder, does it's it's my impression. I haven't looked up any studies or anything. Sure, no, and I wouldn't. And I don't, off the top of my head, know about bipolar uh, specifically. But um, but yeah, there is. It's definitely uh, well known that uh, that people with chronic pain syndromes, whether it's their back or their headache or their abdomen or pelvics or any joint pretty much. Um, uh, but particularly with chronic pain syndromes that the, the rate of mental illness or at least may or may not have been diagnosed, but it's probably there, but what more, uh, but specifically the rate of, um, of trauma in their past is extremely high. So, oh. So there seems, so it's been, so one thing that's been really looked at, uh, being looked at now more and more, I know BC has its own sort of actually a, a, a board that's sort of really looking at this and doing research, but they talk about uh, adverse childhood events and uh, <clears throat> an adverse childhood event can be um, a serious illness, it can be uh, being abused mentally, physically, emotionally by anyone in the family or anyone else for that matter. It could be the death or loss of, uh, of a sibling or a parent. It can be addictions in the family. It can be abuse between the parents. You know, there's, so there's pretty much anything that would, that would disrupt a uh, smooth family life as a kid. We can, is, it basically carries uh, some impact, and these are known as ACEs, uh, adverse childhood events. Mm -hmm. And there is a pretty much exponential uh, correlation between the number of those events that the child experiences and their likelihood of developing mental illness, cardiovascular illness, chronic pain, diabetes, virtually any, virtually almost any medical condition is much more common in people who've had more adverse childhood events. Mm -hmm. So this is really speaking to how powerful the connections are between our brain and our emotions and our organs and our general health. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's a lot of really neat research that's going on sort of that's starting to be able to actually in a neurophysiological way explain what we've kind of observed for decades as doctors um, to, you know, we see these clusters of, sy of syndromes and uh, correlations, but, but there is actually some good neurophysiological explanations for that. Wow, that's fascinating. That's not the answer I was expecting. I don't know what I was expecting, but <laughs> okay. wow, that's, well, wow, that's something. So for treatment, is there a treatment modality for these people or? Well, you know what? That's, that's, uh, yeah. So that's a that great. That must be question. tough. <laughs> that must be hard. Yeah. So, so as you can imagine, the, the treatment's not easy and that's why they become, they're, they're chronic conditions because we don't have very yeah. good cures for them. Yeah. So, but we do have some, we have, so uh, empirically we'd kind of learned that, well, if you sleep better and if you stay exercising regularly, then you tend to have a better quality of life. It doesn't cure it, but, yeah. but that's been kind of, we've known that about chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia for decades. That's been our only treatment. So if, if there's any medications, it's like, well, if this might help you sleep a little bit better without causing addiction, then this is going to help you. Um, if you can keep your moderate exercise going, then this is going to help you, but there's not much else. But I think so now what, so what the research is pointing towards is anything that helps the brain to feel safe. So the body to relax oh, and will will basically allow our body's um, autonomic nervous system, the our involuntary nervous system, right? Um, mm -hmm. Of which there's the there's the there's the um, fight or flight adrenaline system, and then there's the relaxed sort of uh, um, what's the parasympathetic or the 
a different neurotransmitter that is with that one. But um, basically, if you can calm down the adrenaline and make the body feel safe, then the body will allow the energy to go towards healing. Um, and, and so um, the, what was I going to sort of, oh yeah. So anything that's going to help that is going to be useful. And so, you know, meditation, um, gentle exercise, uh, adequate sleep, good nutrition, yoga, um, music therapy, animals, being around nature, all of these sort of things, they, they produce measurable improvements in quality of life. They may not heal things, but they do, they do sort of push, nudge in that direction. So the key is to make the brain feel like it's safe. Yes. Did I read that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that's, that's a very, very simple, that's a, a vast simplification of uh, basically what's called their, what's called the polyvagal theory, um, which is sort of looking at how our autonomic systems, uh, how our, yeah, our uh, autonomic nervous system works and how it directs energy towards, it allows energy to only to go towards healing if the body feels safe. And of course, think about adverse childhood events. Um, basically, anything that breaches, bro- breaks the trust that, that a child would be able to feel safe means that that system gets broken. And so even though there is no, there may not be anything unsafe in the environment, they feel, yeah. they feel unsafe. And so, so there's always this energy directed towards being ready to get away from the danger or fight the danger. And that's taking away from the energy that should be going towards homeostasis and balance in the system and keeping, uh, keeping us healthy. Well, this is fascinating that we're having this conversation after my previous podcast. (laughs) Because I didn't hear. (laughs) No, no, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, But it's, it's called accelerated resolution therapy. Oh yes. I saw the title. Yeah. And um, I've done it myself and it's fascinating because it does exactly that. It makes your brain feel safe. It uses like our motions, right? Okay. Like EMDR, similar to EMDR, but the, our motions are, are soothing. So yes. you recall the, you don't have to talk about it. You, you can, if you want, if you do need to have some kind of communication, like it's not a robot thing, yeah. but while you're imagining the traumatic event, she moves her arm. Like, yeah. And then it just goes. So then you stop having that biological reaction. So, yeah. And, and I think that's, so it's, I think it is fascinating because there are so many ways to get into the brain to help it relax. And, uh, you know, there are some neat books that were, or there's a psychiatrist from the Northwest, uh, like Boston area, who's a very famous one. And he, so his team, looks at all kinds of things, including like drama uh, stuff and, you know, various ways, which, yeah. which, and basically, so if you think about it, the common pathway is getting to that part of the brain that is emotion-based and we don't have a lot of sort of conscious control over it, but by doing these various things, it can still affect it. Yeah, and so yeah, so that's part of it because your brain tr- stores these uh, traumatic events, and this this is one of the ways you can kind of loosen that up. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if, if yeah, I think that could help people with their uh, chronic pain, maybe. Yeah, that's interesting. You no, know, it's it's yeah, there's there's so many theories, and there's a lot of work still going on to understand it. Um, you know, but for the most part, we think that it's something to do with the nerves, not uh, sort of sending signals differently than they would otherwise, you know, um, because we can't find an actual, in, in many cases, there isn't an obvious injury still, like the injury should be healed by then, but yeah. it's still sending pain signals. So why, why is that? And so this, if, if our, if there's something kind of messed up or broken in our neurological system then clearly that could explain that um there's still a lot more to understand to be able to actually uh, really fix it but at least at least be able to and even to be able to tell people you know 
there's clearly now at least an explanation in some terms. So it's not just that you're nuts or you're, it's all in your head or whatever. It's like, no, this is real. The term psychosomatic actually didn't always have a, a negative connotation, but all it means is that, that the, the, the psyche is connected to your body and that changes in your emotions and psychological state do cause changes in your body, which is absolutely true. Like, you know, so, so, so psychosomatic so, doesn't mean it's just in your head. So anecdotally, hopefully it's not putting too much pressure with this question, but anecdotally, have you seen your patients who adopt things like, who, who suffer from chronic, med, chronic pain, who adopt things like meditation or do things to make the brain feel safe? Does that impact their symptoms? Absolutely. Uh, really? Yeah. Yeah, no, they, they definitely, um, there's lots of evidence that it does uh, reduce pain scores and, and uh, improves quality of life scores if you sort of do various, uh, um, you know, questionnaires and things. In fact, one of the, one fascinating thing was uh, in one of the books that, uh, well, the same one that was talking, I was talking about this, uh, what's his name? Actually, I, I brought my books here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> his name is uh, Dr. Vanderkoek. Yeah. Anyway, um, he they his team wanted to do a study to see whether yoga would be helpful for for these issues, and but they couldn't do it because when they as soon as they interviewed all the people that were doing yoga, it's like sixty percent of them had mental health or chronic pain disorders. <laughs> So they had all they had all found their way into yoga in the first place. So they so oh. you could really they they confound a study because they're already comparing. That's funny. So people do people have found you know a lot of people find their ways, and I've had a number of of uh, patients from uh, the military with. Uh, PTSD particularly and a lot of them have uh, back pain actually but yeah uh, yoga is is uh, and meditation are both big for them oh, wow didn't have that question ready it just kind of came up and what a fascinating conversation that was I never and how confident you are like you said absolutely if somebody is who suffers from chronic pain does meditation and yoga that there's a change in their symptoms yeah, I mean, I and obviously I can't guarantee that's going to happen yeah. to everybody, but but there's a, there's definitely a, um, I mean the so the that's kind of new on the um, like if you were to look up the traditional research on treating chronic pain, uh, they'll look at okay, well, do physio or acupuncture or chiro or pills or whatever. Yeah. Out of those, it's it's exercise movement regular exercise is the number one determinant of pain management yeah um, but i but there is uh but there is definitely an impact um for most people once they once they, if they sort of commit to doing that uh, regularly and plus it's kind of hard to exercise when you're in pain true but uh but if you sort of it's it's the mind over matter <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, the other the because, yes, it's hard to exercise when you're in pain, but it's all it's always situational and, and relative. Like, so we all know if you're in battle or if you're just playing sports, you know, you could totally get injured and you don't you hardly feel it, you carry on. And then after the game's over and then yeah. it's like, oh my God, I can barely move. But yeah. when your mind is looking at it, if your mind is not fear based, then your pain is less limiting. I don't know if you could, if that makes sense to you. Like if you're not afraid, if you're not afraid to hurt yourself because or afraid of the pain, then you're able to work through it and function better. And so if we can convince people with uh, chronic pain that they're not injuring themselves by doing activities, even if they hurt, now obviously to a certain level, you know, you can't, can't hurt too much or else that's, no, that definitely you can't do that, but, but to some degree, it's fear of pain that's as limiting as the pain itself. Great. I just wanted to go back to this conversation started because of uh, mental health and chronic pain. Okay. <laughs> no, I did because I. Yeah. That was fascinating. Yeah, I just wanted to circle back. Yeah, fair enough. That okay, was... well, that was excellent. Get some 
that kind of went. Was there anything else you wanted to mention or talk about? Top to lie. Just in general? Uh, yeah. Or, uh... so I just like to give my guests the last second. Sometimes they're like, they've been waiting to say something, but. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess we had talked about the fact that, um, uh, well, and I'd, I, we, we had discussed ahead of time that we might sort of touch a bit on my own personal experience. And, and I think I would actually like to share, you know, just that mental health does affect everybody, you know, like there's, yeah. there is no, uh, there's no age or sex or race or any other sort of uh, distinguishing uh, feature that, yeah. um, that uh, discriminates for or against mental health issues. Um, and then that goes from, and I say this to my patients all the time, particularly in the military, you know, from the admirals down to the privates. And I, I crossed over different types of, uh, uh, of uh, military, <laughs> but, but bottom line is, yeah. Oh, excuse me. Uh, oh, that's fine. Do you have to get that? No, I just will turn that off. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so it affects everybody and of all different jobs and stuff. And, you know, uh, even myself, uh, I, like I say, I touched on my own experience and about 20 years ago, I had just taken on too much work was delivering babies and started a new clinic, just became totally burnt out working 90 hours a week, um, and still getting up at night to deliver babies and, had lost touch with my family and uh, where, what my role really, I think should have been at home because all I was like, Oh, gotta be a good doctor. Gotta be a good doctor. And um, I, so my wife eventually dragged me to the, to my doctor <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I did take some medication for a while. Um, and I think it did help my mood and depression, but in the end we also realized that, my way my work was set up was just not healthy and so we uh we basically came up with a plan we stayed up all night my wife and I one night around Christmas in 2003 and then by the summer of 2004 I basically had to uh close down my practice but we jumped in a fifth wheel and uh truck and drove with our with our nine and eleven year old kids, just kind of set off to explore North America for the following year. And, oh, wow. and in that time, kind of we reconnected as a family and re reevaluated what was what was important in our lives and and where we needed to dedicate our time and our energy. And um, and so by the time we got back, uh, eleven months later, um, we. Uh, we had really planned out in our mind what our house would look like, what our ideal job would look like, how many activities should the kids really be involved in. in any given time. And, and uh, amazingly, within three months of returning, I had a new job that paid more than my old job, but required way less uh, stress, um, allowed me time with my family. We found the house that we had literally, we had designed on paper. We found it about 95% already wow. there like within two weeks of arriving back in victoria in the middle of a hot housing market and we just happened to bump into it like 30 minutes after it went on the market and managed to buy it. <laughs> but, <you know. laughs> um, wow. and and so and for the next 10 years it's like i stopped having getting colds having cold sores feeling depressed whatever because i think uh, this is the other this is the message that actually has been coming to me since I've been a doctor for 30 years is that in general, most of us are forcing ourselves into a life that we wouldn't really choose, you know, in some way or another, our society just makes us feel like we need to do this and do this and do this. And, yeah. and it typically we feel we have to, cause we need to make the money. We need to find a living, but uh, but uh, the longer we try to force ourselves to do something that isn't part of our true selves, then something's going to give. And it's and it's sometimes they'll blame it on a physical thing. But ninety plus percent of the time, it's it's a mental or a spiritual issue. You know? mm -hmm. So um, so that's again another long-winded answer. But uh, that was perfect. Wow, thank you. Those personal stories are so powerful. So 
um, I, th- I really appreciate you sharing that with us. On no, it's a it's a pleasure. I I think it's I I think it's really important that we all that that people can understand. Doctors are people too, and uh, yeah. and and it's well known actually the suicide rates in professionals, whether it's dentists and doctors, and you know that it's that it's high, and but nobody likes to talk about it. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. That was fantastic. I'm, I really appreciate you being on the podcast and sharing your knowledge and um, sharing your personal experience. It was, it was really excellent. Thanks, Andre. No, Thanks for coming no, on. No, you're, you're most welcome. It's a, it's a pleasure, Alan, and I really appreciate your uh, really kind uh, approach to these topics, and you're very easy to uh, talk to. You really get uh, <laughs> make it easy for me to to speak. And I actually, ironically, may not sound like it, but I've generally been a pretty shy, introverted, anxious person my whole life. So, uh, so it's been nice. Uh, it's but it's yeah, it's easy to talk to you. So, oh, thank you. you. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. We could probably do another podcast. That was fascinating. So I'll think of more and I'll uh, push you out of your comfort zone again, Andre. <laughs> With that feedback. Okay. <laughs> right, but we'll stop there for today. Um, thank you again. And uh, thank you to all my listeners. Um, if you want to learn a bit more about me, my blog is bipolarweekly.com. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, my Twitter handle is at Alan G. Cooper. So thanks again to Dr. Pickersgill. Thanks to my listeners. This has been another bipolar disorder moment.